So a couple weeks ago, we talked about how uh, the Red Sea was kind of the prototypical battle of the Bible, how it established that God fights for his people and that God's people don't really contribute anything. And that story of the Exodus is kind of what sets the tone for everything uh, that is to follow in the Old Testament. And so it's always kind of fun uh, when the kids head out, kind of reminds us of the Exodus. And um, so they're going to go and and learn a little bit about David and Goliath. And uh, we're going to do the same thing here. So may God's grace and mercy and peace be yours through God, our Heavenly Father, and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we find ourselves in week three of our Battles of the Bible series. So week one, we looked at the Red Sea and how God fought for his people. Last week, we looked at at Jericho and how the walls came tumbling down and God gave the city into the hands of his people. Today, we move on to to maybe the most famous of all of the the battles of the Bible. Uh, Certainly one of the most famous stories in ancient literature and very well known even in our culture today. Uh, the battle between David and Goliath. So even today, that, that phrase, David and Goliath, really kind of signifies this, this underdog kind of defeating this undefeatable opponent in this extremely unlikely victory. We, we hear it used in that context all the time. As Christians, we often kind of follow that same general line of thinking, uh, like songs like Casting Crowns, Voice of Truth or the, the movie Facing the Giants, kind of encourage us to, to picture ourselves as David, fighting against the giants of fear and failure or whatever else may be plaguing us and overcoming them by God's strength. While we do have a lot to learn from David and his example of faith, today I'd encourage you to, to think of this story also in a bit of a different way. Instead of picturing yourself, picture Jesus as David. So let's get started. 1 Samuel 17 starts out like this. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And a shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So 1 Samuel 17 opens with a a giant challenge for the people of Israel in more ways than one. Israel is finally in their own land with their own king, their first king. 
But now the Philistines, this invading warlike people from the sea, have gathered their armies to battle the Israelites, and they meet in the valley of Elah. The Philistines send forth their champion, Goliath, who uh, is over nine feet tall, according to the Hebrew text. He wears armor that's somewhere between 125 and 220 pounds, and his spear has a head that is 14 and a half pounds. In other words, this was a huge man and an accomplished warrior. Someone you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley in Detroit. Or a sunlit valley in Judah, for that matter. The enormity of this enemy of God and his people trespassing into the promised land to assail the Israelites and eat up their flesh absolutely paralyzes them with fear. Well, one-on-one duels uh, were somewhat common in this time uh, to help avoid greater bloodshed. In this case, no one in Israel can be found that is up to this giant challenge, this giant's challenge. King Saul, an unusually tall man himself, should be the one to face Goliath, but he cowers in his tent. Israel will not, cannot, choose a man to fight Goliath. So God will. The beginning of this true story is not unlike the beginning of all things. Adam and Eve were in their own land with God walking daily by their side. But then an enormously deceptive and deadly enemy trespassed into the Garden of Eden. And his temptation paralyzed humanity in sin. This enemy assailed us to eat up our flesh in death. We could not face this challenge on our own. No man or woman among us could be found who was up to the fight. So God would have to choose someone to fight this one-on-one battle for the fate of all humankind. God would have to send someone. In 1 Samuel 17, a Bethlehemite named Jesse sends someone straight to the front lines, unwittingly, sending the very one that God had chosen to do battle on his behalf. The one Jesse sends as his son, his youngest son, the the little boy out tending the sheep in the fields. Jesse sends him to his brothers who were in Saul's army to deliver some food, grain and bread and cheese. And when David arrives, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Yet again, Israel fears, but David has faith. Saul and his mighty warriors tremble in terror. David, this shepherd boy, this delivery boy, this purveyor of fine cheeses, stands firm. His motivation is not the glory that Saul will shower down upon him and his family. His motivation is God's honor. And we would do well to have a similar zeal for the Lord to stand up boldly for his truth when it is under attack. 
But I don't know that this means that we are always called to be militant in our approach to addressing these attacks. Because just as David did not come as a warrior, neither did Jesus. But as a humble son, of a humble craftsman, born humbly in a manger. David brought food to the army. Jesus came to to give us and, and to feed us with his own body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus did not call out our enemy for his own glory, for the glory of his Father, for the eternal benefit of me and you. And because Jesus was sent for us, we can rejoice that we have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We've received the spirit of adoption as the sons and the daughters of God. So it is not out of fear, but rather out of our identity as the children of God that we go forward in Jesus' name to live boldly and fearlessly as his people. And as we go, we are equipped for the battle that lies ahead, but not in the way you might think. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So picture the scene, this, this tall, majestic king is kind of looking down at, looking down on this, this young kid, and uh, it's kind of like when the, the scrawny guy at the end of the bench pleads, put me in, coach, and um, Saul's just not really convinced, is he? He tells David, you are not able to go. You're a boy. He's been a fierce warrior since before you learned how to tie your loincloth. But David says that he can do it. Now, have you ever had someone tell you that you can't do something? How did you respond? Did, did you shrink back? Maybe. More likely, you, you had strong confidence in your abilities to, to do it despite the doubts of others. Well, we get a little bit of that with David here, but there's something more. So he does say that as a shepherd... He's killed lions and bears. He says that Goliath will be just like one of them. So David is drawing on a a skill that he had and, and on his past experience, yes. But even more than that, he is relying on God's past protection. 
which assures him of God's future protection. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David's faith sees no difficulty in the fight because it sees God. David is completely, supremely confident in his victory because he knows it's not his victory, but rather God's. So Saul agrees to let David fight, but he's not going to let him go unprepared. He fits the shepherd boy up with his royal armor, and David can't even move in it. This tells us not only that David is quite small, but also that this youth who is about to represent the entire army of Israel in warfare is entirely unaccustomed to warfare. Saul tries to make David into the kind of of warrior that he thinks he needs, which incidentally is exactly the kind of warrior that Goliath is expecting. But David is a different kind of deliverer, just as Jesus is. Jesus also did not come to fight his battle with royal regalia or a warrior's weapons. In David and in Jesus, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And and so the battle begins. But before the stones or javelins fly between David and Goliath, their words do. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, Yahweh will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Now this war of words is every bit as important as the physical battle that follows. Kind of like the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus go together, and and you can't really separate one from the other without failing to do justice to the full meaning of both. So Goliath strikes first, making it clear to everyone in the valley that that he despises David's youth. And it is is a great indignity to him that there's this young boy that dares to fight him (laughs) and with a shepherd's staff. Have you ever experienced something like that before? Have people called you names? Have they compared you unfavorably to themselves or to others? Have they made wrong assumptions about the kind of person that you are? It's not hard to let those words sink in pretty deep even when they're patently untrue. It hurts when someone thinks badly of you, when someone has assumed the worst about you, when someone considers you to be unworthy of honor or respect. David endured this from Goliath. But your and my experience, 
and even David's experience pale in comparison to that of Jesus. Jesus was and is the perfect son of God, and he had to endure the scorn of his enemies as they led him up the hill to die. He had to suffer the taunting of the mocking soldiers. He bore the full brunt of the the insults that were hurled at him from the thieves executed alongside him. But Jesus didn't address their accusations. And notice that when Goliath calls David out and tells him who he thinks he is, David doesn't respond by correcting Goliath and telling him who he actually is. Instead, David responds by telling him who Yahweh is. David sees right through this giant's fearsome facade and sees what Goliath truly is, an uncircumcised heathen. Goliath, to David, is nothing more than a beast, a man whose defiance of the living God has deprived him of his very humanity. David sees that this ostensibly powerful warrior is, in fact, powerless because he is without the true God. So David boldly declares, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And Yahweh saves not with a sword or a spear. Will you say this with me? For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Goliath shows his warrior pedigree with his words of, of arrogance and intimidation. David shows his faith with his words of trust. And the Lord of hosts. David shows that he sees the battle rightly as a spiritual battle. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. They plundered their camp. I wonder what was in David's mind as he drew closer to this fierce giant. Maybe some of the words that we can read even today in in the Psalms of David. Words like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Well, whatever might have been going through his head... It's what goes into Goliath's head that gets all the press. So scholars say that an experienced slinger in those days could hurl a stone at upwards of 100 miles an hour. And that is equivalent to, apparently, about the stopping power of a 45-millimeter handgun today. Furthermore, uh, the stones in the Valley of Elah, most of them are made out of barium sulfate, which is a much denser rock than normal. 
Uh, these five stones are actually from the Valley of Elah. Pastor Brandt uh, got these when he was over in Israel. He's allowing me to borrow them, and I have every intention to return them to him after this service. Um, or five rocks from my backyard that look kind of like this. Uh, these come, and one thing I haven't mentioned historically is um, right in David's time, the Ziploc bag had just been invented. And um, the blue and the red, when they came together, made purple. It was a, an innovation. Okay, that part's not true. David used this, just one of them actually, and a sling to kill Goliath. We know the deeper truth, don't we? David did not defeat Goliath with sword or spear. Not even with sling or stone. David defeated Goliath with faith in God. The giant had looked so devastatingly unbeatable. But all along he was a sitting duck. Because the Lord was with David. Goliath fell down prostrate before the God that he had blasphemed. And Saul's army chased the invading Philistines back to where they came from and beyond. David's victory was victory for all God's people. And so is the victory of Jesus. When he entered the fray, death looked devastatingly unbeatable, especially when Jesus himself died. But just as David cut off Goliath's head with the giant's own sword, Jesus decapitated death by dying. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. This is Yahweh's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we will also have resurrection and victory over death Forever, as Paul says in his famous resurrection chapter, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's victory is victory for all God's people, you and me. Now, the narrative of this great battle ends in kind of a peculiar way. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So though Saul had had some interaction with him up to this point, David apparently had been pretty much a nobody in his eyes. And now Saul wants to know whose son David is. Well, in our gospel reading for today, Jesus asked the Pharisees about whose son the Christ is. Everybody knew that the Christ was the son of David. But then Jesus points out that David also calls him his Lord. So whose son is the Christ? Well, he is the son of David and the son of God. The eternal son of God sent from the Father to conquer death and hell for you. So as you go out from here today, go out knowing that like David, God goes with you in every battle. Go out with boldness. Go out with a zeal for the Lord and his honor 
and with an assurance that God can use even you to do mighty things. But far more importantly, go out knowing that one has gone before you already and that by his cross and his empty grave, he has destroyed your every enemy. And the next time that sin, death, and the devil taunt you or threaten to feed you to the birds, declare to them, the battle is the Lord's, and he has given you into our hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we'll be wrapping up our Battles of the Bible series uh, with a lesser-known account of the prophet Elisha and the hidden angels. So hope you can join us for that. In the meantime, may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.